Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Bridge Street Capital Partners is a Sydney-based corporate advisory firm that specializes in equity capital market transactions for small cap companies listed on the ASX, primarily in the mining, energy, and tech sectors. If you are a Section 708 sophisticated investor, and would like to be on Bridge Street's distribution list for their upcoming capital raises, please send them your details via an email to invest at bridgestreetcapital.com.au and mention the BIP show in your message. Now, on with the show. How are you now? Broadcasting from the VFS studios at Northbridge in Sydney. You are listening to the all-new BIP Show, Season 5, Episode 2. Don't forget to hit subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder that all the financial information in this podcast is generally in nature. Only speak to a professional advisor about your needs. That's what I do, um, amazingly and coincidentally. My name is James Whelan, Investment Manager at VFS Group. Uh, I skipped Davos to be here. It's really good. Uh, someone else who also skipped Davos to be here, I'll introduce him in a second. Uh, before that, the date is the 15th of July, 2022 AD. The time is 10.08 AM. Uh, I've got the market switched off, so I don't even know if it's up or down. And uh, I am joined here first off. I've got a couple of guests, but first and foremost, uh, another investment advisor over from South Australia, and he does help our South Australian quota, which I'm required to maintain. Uh, legally speaking and contractually, I'm obligated to uh, to have a South Australian on the show at least once every three weeks. I'm joined today by HLM Investment uh, is Heath Moss. Uh, Heath, how are you now? Very good. Thanks for having me on, mate. <laughs> it's good. Now, uh, quick update on the markets, mate. Uh, do, do you feel a little bit more comfort with what's going on at the moment in this uh, in the current time? Yeah, I was. Uh, I've, I've moved from uh, really cautious uh, with what we're, how we're deploying our money to slightly more bullish and feeling like uh, coming into the end of the year that we're going to see a turnaround in markets. Uh, I think they're trying to put in a bottom now. The last couple of nights on the on the uh, uh, US markets, we've started off quite poorly and, and ended up basically flat. Mm. So um, <clears throat> I think we're, we're looking pretty good coming into the end of the year. And uh, China and the rarity coming out of China is getting me even more excited. Yeah, no, and it, it seems like a little bit more comfort to sort of going into it. However, earnings season has started. We're probably going to see, I mean, everyone did expect to see that we're going to see margin compression come in and then we're going to start to see a revaluation to the downside. Mm. Now the question comes up, has that been factored in already because everyone's been talking about it um, and the market's ready to be buying on opportunities like that? Or do we still have that next leg down? Time will tell. I hate to, I hate to be that guy to say it. Um, now, maybe to help us navigate this one a little bit more closely, but also I want to have a really good focus on Europe and the energy crisis that's there that we've been talking about now for almost a year uh, since Nord Stream 2 was finished in probably, I think it was about September or October last year. And then that started all of this situation that's going on now. Um is uh, today's main guest not you know no, superior guest to you, Heath? I'm sorry, but uh, our main guest is uh, is an old friend of mine and one of the biggest influences on my career in financial markets. He's a great friend of the show and of mine, formerly of 
I'm just I'm guessing here was at Rothschilds, I think, and Hedge Funds Australia as well. Uh, a very smart fellow and an all-round nice guy. We are pressed for time, so I can't give him the introduction that he deserves. Uh, but of author of the Payne Report, Jonathan Payne, how are you now? I'm very well, James, and and thank you very much for having me back on your show. That's uh, it's good. Now, the last time that you were on that, uh, it was a really cracking show. We went around the grounds um, in in a few minutes, every country, every market uh, that we could cover that was worth covering. This time, we're just going to really focus, if we can, on um, on the energy crisis. Your recent notes have really focused on what's going on in Germany for a good reason, too, and we'll get into exactly why that is. Um, <laughs> firstly, here, I've got a, a note here. You know, Joe Weisenthal from uh, Bloomberg, uh, someone, yes. posted, someone posted a tweet that he did in October 2017 Quote, Germany is producing so much renewable energy, homeowners might get paid to use electricity this weekend. And that was that was in the last week of October 2017. How much has changed in not even five years to to now potentially people well what they're, they're setting up public spaces to, for people to to get heating um, in Germany. And that's that's a real tragic situation. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Nord Stream if, if, if we've got time to get into. But I, I, I was wondering if, like, let's just start at the, the, the European energy situation and especially the German situation. Do you want to give us a brief overview of what you're seeing over there? And then we can talk about sort of it, it, sort of the, the downstream effects and where that's going to actually impact markets after that. Heath, mate, feel free to jump in anytime you want. I know your questions will probably be more, uh, more cutting no than Um So, Jonathan, mate, over to you. Germany. Well, well, thank you, James. As you say in my uh, in my weekly pain report, I have been um, highlighting uh, the gravity of the situation in Europe, and clearly, I think everyone now has finally uh, realised that uh, Europe today faces a um, energy emergency, and I've now more lastly uh, changed that somewhat to a potential energy uh, catastrophe. Mm. Uh, we know the context to this, but just to bring it into the, the here and now and the, um, the, the stark reality of what is happening uh, in Europe. Uh, we know, of course, uh, post the invasion uh, of Ukraine by Russia, uh, the reduction in, in particularly natural gas supplies into Europe has amplified uh, an energy crisis. And I just for a little bit of short-term context, we need to remind everyone uh, that Europe was already uh, entering a period of... Um, potential energy emergency prior to the invasion. And the, the Russian invasion has simply accelerated and, and amplified uh, the, the quantum and the degree and the gravity of it. So what I'm seeing now is we have electricity prices uh, in Germany that have just been uh, multiplying. Yeah. And I, I, I just my arithmetic's not very good, James. But I mean, if I said that German electricity prices were up sevenfold from their average price in 2019, I probably wouldn't be uh, uh, too far too 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 far wrong. And similarly, also, uh, you know, natural gas prices are are up so so many multiples. The bottom line is this: I'm hearing reports out of Germany now. You know, Germany, as we all know, is uh, one of the great industrial champions uh, of the post-war period. I mean, this is one of the world's finest highest quality manufacturers uh, of capital goods, one of the world's great export champions, and Germany is unambiguously the locomotive of Europe. And Europe, of course, is the second largest economic regional entity uh, in the world. In fact, it's just about the same size um, as, uh, as, as the United States in terms mm. of economic uh, 
uh, e- you know, economic um, in terms of GDP. So, so what's going on in Germany? And and I'm hearing that up to or potentially twenty five percent of the manufacturing sector in Germany um, has weeks, not months, before it has to start shutting down um, operations. Now, yes. that is a staggering. If that if that's anywhere remotely true, that is staggering. That's depression depression level sort of. That, that is exactly right. So people yeah. kind of talking about, are we going to have, are we in the future going to have a recession in Europe? Well, Europe is in recession. Um, the question now is the depth and the duration uh, of the recession. And much of that, of course, is contingent upon energy supplies and the cost, moreover, of that energy. And that then brings into the conversation, of course, Nord Stream 1, uh, which, of course, runs under the Baltic. Mm-hmm. And we know that's just gone into a shutdown uh, period for maintenance from about, I think, the 11th of July. It was and the we're 11th, hoping yes. that it reopens on the 21st of July. Um, <laughs> it's a, there's a bit of that, isn't there? It's uh, for repairs. Are they going to keep it? Are they going to keep it closed, or are they going to going to bring it back on and help uh, and help them out? It's a, hmm. Well, what I, do you think? I, I actually have had some conversations with people who know a lot more than I do uh, in terms of the, the the energy system and infrastructure. Uh, in Europe, and one of the things, James, let just um, let me note for the record that you know I've spent months and months now trying to dig into the complexity of the European energy markets, and and the more I've the more I've learnt is uh, you know the, the more the more I the more work I've done, the more I realise how little I know. It's quite 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 frightening um, how that's... complex it is. But the bottom line is, I am I have had conversations with people who say that the Russians won't completely shut down Nord Stream One. And they're hoping, obviously, that that it reopens on the twenty first of July. But of course, Putin, you know, has his hand on the on the tap, and and we know that um, gas supplies via Nord Stream One have been reduced significantly uh, in the last few months. And as a consequence, we've seen energy prices rise uh, the way that they have. But the bottom line is, we're in an incredibly dangerous point in time here in terms of the history of Europe, and we've got to stop this kind of oh well. There might be a recession at some point in the future. I mean, every single data point that I look at in Europe t- uh, tells me uh, that we're already in recession. And of course, that recession, James, is being accompanied by, you know, very, very high levels, uh, very, very high levels of inflation. So all eyes uh, on the 21st of July. Let's hope and pray Nord Stream 1 is uh, uh, the, the, the gas flows through it on the 21st of July. And that incidentally, James, is the day that the European Central Bank is meeting and uh, we're told they're going to raise rates by a quarter of 1%. Um, and I don't know if you want to get into the ECB and, and, and the catastrophic management of monetary policy in Europe, but we can go down that rabbit hole if you want. But yes, I mean, what I'm seeing and hearing out of Europe is, is, is very, very grave indeed. And, and the impact on the manufacturing sector in particular is noteworthy. So that means to me, that GDP forecasts right across Europe uh, will be revised down into, and, and in fact, we'll see a natural recession. And that means also EPS, earnings per share numbers uh, in Europe are, are way too elevated and they'll be revised down as well. So what was, was there a, a, a I mean, sorry, I'm not, not going to ask a leading question. In your note recently, which I would ask everyone to, if they can subscribe to uh, and, and, and check out because it's always got some beautiful insight in it. You mentioned a specific case. I always like to have real, you know, real cases on this show, 
real sure. people talking about real things. Was it uh, the, the specific case that you gave, the case example, with regards to German manufacturing? Do you want to go into that? Because that's fascinating. Yes, absolutely. BAS, BASF is one of the largest, in fact, the second largest chemical company uh, uh, in the world. And they have this absolutely monster, monster plant in a place called Ludwigshaven. Apologies to any German listeners if they are there. I'll say right. ten, ten, years, ten years of German at school, Jonathan. That sounded okay. I did it. I did yeah. it. Ludwigshaven. <laughs> and then this is just a remarkable uh, chemical plant. There are Within it, there are 60 miles of tar roads. And you've got... Um, parts of it, uh, and I can't remember all the technical terms because I'm, I'm not a, certainly not a, a chemical plants expert, but there are facilities within Ludwigshaven uh, where, um, you know, they obviously, uh, uh, you know, producing chemicals, etc. cetera, uh, that each one, one, you know, one of the, uh, the um, I can't even remember the name of it, James, you might have read my note. But Looking the, now, yeah. The, the actual plant, one of the actual um, systems they have there is the size of about 13, 13 soccer fields. Yeah. So yeah. We're, the, we're talking the steam, about... The steam crackers, I think, that you've the got. The steam here. crackers. Well yeah. done, James. I was yeah. struggling. I was trying to... I, I, <laughs> I, regretfully, I actually... Um, that, those, <laughs> that's not in my notes. But yes, the steam... One, one of the steam crackers, and in fact, two on at Ludwigshaven is the size of 13 soccer fields. I mean, so just imagine the scale of it. And as I said, 60 miles of roads within that one plant at Ludwigshaven. Mm. So we're, we're talking about uh, a, a, an operation that has global ramifications. I mean, what happens in Germany doesn't stay in Germany. It has you know, consequences for the entire global, global economy, particularly a, a chemical facility the scale of Ludwigshaven at, uh, you know, uh, which B- B- BSF runs. So these are the kind of real world manifestations of the, of the extraordinary increase in the cost of energy. And the, 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 the chap who runs uh, BSF is actually on the record saying that if these energy prices are sustained, they will actually have to contemplate shutting down the Ludwigshaven uh, chemical facility, and 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 as he said in the interview, that something you know unimaginable uh, that they couldn't have even imagined uh, just a few months ago. So that's the kind of reality of what we're what we're seeing. Uh, Jonathan, um, just just quickly, and I don't want to put you on the spot here, but um, we know that um, Russian Russian gas supplies about nine percent of all uh, European energy at the moment. Um, but and since we're talking about Germany uh, in particular, why are the Germans so against the nuclear option? Um, they've got the plants there and they're continuing to shut them down. Do you do you know why they're so against keeping them running and you know helping prolong this uh, uh, this this shortage that they've got going on? Well, actually, yeah, no, Heath, this is a critical this is a critical point. If you if you remember, it was actually Chancellor Angela Merkel who had all the nuclear plants shut down. And uh, I'm pretty certain uh, that was following the tragedy um, uh, of Fukushima in Japan, which uh, uh, James will know. He's very good at history. I think it was 2011 or thereabouts. We had the tsunami uh, and the the, the disaster, the nuclear disaster at Fukushima in Japan. I think it was 2011. And following that, uh, Chancellor Angela Merkel then started shutting down uh, the, the the nuclear facilities, the nuclear plants in Germany, and don't forget also 
the Green Party in Germany is incredibly influential and powerful. In okay. fact, they're actually now in a coalition uh, with uh, Olaf Scholz, the new Chancellor of Germany in the SDP. So a very powerful voice in German politics has been the Green Party. And the Green Party um, uh, basically also put a lot of pressure on the Angela Merkel at the time to shut down uh, nuclear power. And as you know, Heath, the French, of course, uh, have maintained uh, their, their nuclear power yes. plants. And that is uh, uh, one of the reasons why the French are in a better situation. I mean, Germany um, has made every energy mistake it would be possible to make yeah. in the last um, 15 years or so. They became hostage to Russia, uh, very reliant on natural gas uh, supplies through Nord Stream 1. They shut down nuclear, and they basically also pretty much look to shut down all, all, all coal power, uh, coal-fueled um, uh, generators. So um, they're now having to reverse uh, uh, much of that. And, in fact, I think overnight, and I haven't had time to check the story out yet, I saw a headline uh, that uh, the Japanese are looking to start up their nuclear uh, reactors again because, yeah. of course, the Japanese shut theirs down following the, the, the Fukushima tragedy of 2011. So, so basically, uh, the, the, the Germany, as I said, has made every mistake possible, uh, and now they face this new, very, very stark uh, reality. And it's, they're very, very much dependent on what uh, Vladimir Putin does next. Yeah, and, and we've all seen a video of Trump warning the Germans about exactly what was going to happen if they kept on going down the down that road, and the and the German delegation of whatever it was he was speaking at was laughing at him. Um, yes, with his warnings about how, how how controlled they will be by Russia. It's um it's phenomenal, and I you, you got to give him credit that Trump told them exactly what was going to happen, <laughs> and and here they are, and uh, it's it's it, but but we can we can talk about. What is happening and, and, and the situation, how bad it is. Maybe if we could just sort of freestyle this one. What, how do we see this shaping energy policy going forward? Now, I know that there's – actually, I, I will note this as well. There's a, a fellow on Twitter um, that I will post about, and I've actually just lost his name. Oh, yeah, Pascal, Pascal LTH, P-A-S-C-A-L-L-T-H. He's done some great analysis on exactly what's going on with regards to the stockpiling of gas. The situation that came up last year, they literally just didn't have enough stockpile. So there is now a requirement for all EU countries to have uh, at least 80% gas stockpiled, um, 80% of their capacity to be stockpiled by the, by November, which is great. Um, I'm pretty, pretty <laughs> it, means, it means that they just need to get enough gas coming into their country to actually be, be able to stockpile it. That's a different situation. However, they need to be at 80% capacity by November, which is great. There's another uh, a law, this is a pretty obscure thing that I, I actually didn't know about, the 2017-1938 regulation and EU regulation. It came in 2017 in October um, to talk about um, that countries have three stages of warning and, and, and uh, one is early warning and then there's alert stage and there's emergency. As it is now, there's only a few countries that have got into that early warning stage and there's one country that's gone into the alert stage, that's Germany. Now, if you go into the, the third emergency stage, it means that you can basically go all bits are off and go into sort of like a wartime situation. Don't associate that with Germany. But the go, go into a sort of a panic situation where, you know what, we can now bring on coal, we can ration, you can do whatever we can do, whatever we have to do, and it's sort of you can bypass a lot of EU regulations as well to be able to get yourself back on track. I think that potentially, in my view, 
that calls of it's it's it might not be as disastrous as maybe we're making everything look out as it looks for. It's just the wrong time of the year for people to be cut off from gas in in businesses and maybe at this time of the cycle. It's definitely not a, a great time for companies to be on their knees um, without anything to power their plants. I mean, do, do you see that energy potentially? energy policy might actually be reshaped by this, Jonathan, going forward? I mean, where, where, does, where does the next few years take us? Well, I, you know, James, this is um, an incredibly uh, perplexing and complex um, conversation uh, to have. I tend to try and focus on the here and now. And when I see uh, economists around the world, you know, kind of saying, oh, yes, Germany's in a spot of bother and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I look at kind of GDP forecasts for Germany for the balance of this year, and they're still positive, I look at that and go, they're, they're dreaming. Um, <laughs> GDP is going to be uh, negative this year in Germany and pretty much right across Europe. Um, now, will the emergency that we're in, uh, and I think it's bordering on the on, on catastrophic, incidentally, um, will clearly create a different conversation and debate uh, around energy, and the the transition to a clean you know zero emission future and i think the 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 scale of what really regrettably might actually happen in europe will certainly get uh, a, a political momentum to effectively say look okay fine that's our long term vision that's our long term strategy namely the zero emission strategy down yes. the road that's decades into the future, and we need to manage the transition. The here and now is we don't want people dying uh, from f- uh, the freezing cold this winter yeah. in the Northern Hemisphere in Europe. And hence, uh, we have just in the last few weeks seen members of the Green Party, I emphasis on the Green Party in general, yeah. saying, you know what? We're, we're going to have to fire up the uh, the coal the coal stations again. Get the coal uh, going. To get yep. us get us through the winter because we can't any longer assume that Putin uh, will supply sufficient natural gas uh, to get us through from here uh, through the winter and into next year. So they've had to uh, uh, you know look at uh, contingency plans. And I mean, I'm just, there's so much chatter and conversation around this topic. But at the end of the day, uh, politicians, one assumes in a democracy, um, will be sensitive uh, to the daily reality of its electorate. And uh, therefore, uh, right now, they, they, they need to get their hands on every available fuel source. Uh, to enable them to get through the next six to 12 months. So anything that they can burn and provide, uh, you know, provide some form of energy will be, I, I've, I've even heard reports in the last 24 hours that they're saying, look, at the end of the day, they're trying to get households to go out and get as much wood as they can and burn wood for heat, et cetera, et cetera. In the Bundestag, which is the German parliament, they've already turned off the hot water and there's even proposals that uh, the, the German politicians should um, uh, would should share showers with one another, and uh, for no longer than five minutes. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm I'm hopeful that we might actually see that as well. The um 
How do you think that and Angela Merkel? Uh, I'm going to call her Angela. I'm sorry. Uh, how do you think that Angela Merkel will be viewed long term? How will history view her? There's some people. I mean, Gray Connolly has has a pretty critical view of anyone who doesn't. Anyone who follows Gray will know what I'm talking about. Um, he's a, just a bit of a, a bit of a mind on these sorts of things, and he he he's he suggested that potentially she's a a Soviet plant uh, <laughs> in Germany based on the based on the policies that have happened. It's difficult to disagree with that. James, you don't want me to get into this. Really. <laughs> I, I mean, this is, uh, I, who knows who's, who'll end up listening to this. I w- I'll just say a couple of things. I mean, obviously, we're all very familiar uh, with, I'm afraid I will call her Angela Merkel. Go on. Uh, Char- Chancellor Angela Merkel. And, and obviously, um, you know, we've all studied her for, over, for a very long period of time. She was, um, you know, the longest serving chancellor. So, yes, um, there is there is an enormous amount of commentary and and criticism uh, that Angela Merkel basically left Germany um, as as hostage to um, uh, to Russian energy effectively. Yeah. yeah. Now uh, you know her origin, as you know, is from East Germany. Scientist by training. Um, then uh, Vladimir Putin, of course, was based in East Germany, as we know, um, fluent in German. And the the stories about the the, the kind of relationship they had is, is is you know is quite quite in in of itself quite interesting. The bottom line is there's an element of the German establishment, whether you call it that, the industrial or political establishment, that have for many many decades had very 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 close ties um, with Moscow. Mm. And I don't think I'm. You know, there's no. There's no secret in any of that. Former chancellors, in fact, uh, sit on um, Russian energy boards. Companies, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. Gerhard uh, Schroeder. So um, clearly, the Germans felt that Russia was a reliable energy partner, and I do believe that for the German industrial and political establishment, uh, Putin's activity and invasion of ukraine it was an absolute lightning bolt shock and surprise and uh, you know so much has happened since the 24th of february and, and i followed events uh in the bundestag there with Olaf schultz delivering that speech where he basically ripped up the entire post post-war german foreign policy and defense policy um strategy and uh, in, and you can see they were taken by, and, you know, it was a massive shock to the Germans that, that what happened with, with the, the full-scale uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. Mm. But as in life, James, you know, the cards, you have to play the cards that are on, on the table. And the, t- and the cards on the table right now is that Germany is, is, is enduring a severe energy emergency with catastrophic ramifications for industry and the manufacturing sector. And um, we don't know what happens next with respect to the flow of gas that is permitted through Nord Stream 1 post 21st July. Um, but what we do know is that many German companies um, are suffering the historic and epic uh, rise in, in energy costs and are going to be in severe strife, not in months to come. They are in strife now and are, are looking to actually significantly curtail production, if not shut down production in the very, very near term. So I'm afraid um, I'm going to have to call it the way I see it. Yep. And, and, and the sad, sad reality is that Germany faces or is in 
a very severe recession. And uh, then we know what happens if, you know, if that if I'm right about that, then clearly I'm afraid the European equity markets uh, are going to remain uh, very weak and decline further. And moreover, equity analysts are going to downgrade uh, earnings per share estimates. And I, I've said this about the United States as well. We're going to see an avalanche of downgrades to EPS estimates uh, in the United States and also in Europe. And then throwing in on top of all of this, of course, is we have a very, very, very strong US dollar. And the opposite end of that is a very, very weak 20-year low in, in the euro. And we're hovering as we speak at parity with the US dollar. And we're on the doorstep of uh, Christine Lagarde, president of the ECB, raising rates for the first time, I think, is it since 2011 or thereabouts? Mm, um, I actually couldn't tell you. It's, it's definitely definitely a long time, though. It's been a long time. Yeah. Look, I've said it before in my reports, and I've said it certainly in my speak, speaking engagements in the last few months. I, I have this phrase, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is the most incompetent central bank of them all? And it's a very crowded field. This is a very, <laughs> very competitive contest. But sadly, mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the most incompetent of them all is unambiguously the ECB. Yeah, yeah, um, that, that would be it. Uh, Heath, I think you had a question. And then I'm going to have to wrap it up because we've been, we've been talking for too long. Yes, uh, just uh, Jonathan, James, um, just wanted to get your thoughts on earnings in the US. Uh, I think current forecasts for Q2 earnings seasons have a rise of around 4% in uh, earnings. Um, where do you see earnings moving forward into Q3, Q4 and possibly 23 for the US in particular? Because obviously we all know earnings estimates are quite quite bullish still at the moment. Uh, how, how much slowing or, you know, how far back do earnings go um, if they do head into a recession in your opinion? Yeah, I've got a um, EPS for the S&P 500 of about $200, which is significantly below the market. Yeah. And then I put a, a 15 times multiple on that <clears> and I come up with 3,000 as my projected my projection for the S&P 500. So about another, what is that, 17 or 18% further down from here. So I'm that's, that's obviously predicated on my view that America goes into recession. Uh, in yep. fact, I'm, at, I, I'm seeing recession in much of the developed world. So, I, yeah, I've got a $200 EPS for, on the S&P 500, which is okay. significantly lower than where, where the consensus is. Oh, that's um, that's definitely amazing. Hey, have you got anything else? Otherwise, I'm going to have to shut it off. Um, no, just mainly getting excited about China again, their uh, investment in infrastructure. It looks like uh, their second half this year will be uh, like the economy starts turning its wheels again, um, yep. a move away from zero COVID to more spot fire management and living with, with the virus. Uh, 1.1 US trillion to be invested in infrastructure in China towards the end of the year. Um, I, do, I read an excellent note yesterday about their investment in green um, infrastructure, oh, yeah. um, and it looks like they'll, they'll invest about 1.9 US trillion in green infrastructure up until 2025, which will uh, be about 16% of total infrastructure investment. So um, a lot to like to come out of China and, of course, um, commodities. And I think the recent sell-off in commodities um, presents an absolute excellent opportunity longer term, um, a gift to investors uh, longer term. Jonathan, do you agree with the, the commodities play a long, a, a nice big chunky long position for a generational buying opportunity? What do you think? 
Yeah, I've been pretty bullish on commodity prices, but the trouble with the commodity story right now is that if we're staring at the whites of the eyes of a recession, all things being equal, that tends to weaken commodities, as we know from history. Yeah. But having said all of that, and and I follow uh, the oil markets very closely, I must admit, you know, that the physical underlying market is still relatively tight, but the financial market, if you will look at the where you know what you know we look at the futures market for crude oil. Um, we've seen this really, really precipitous decline. But yeah, longer term, I suppose you know I'm, I'm I've got a, a bullish bias on commodities, but I'm tempering that at the moment given the the depth of what I'm seeing uh, in terms of economic activity in places like Europe. But I I, I get the the, the supply demand dynamic being broad broadly supportive of um of of commodities moving forward. And as and as Heath has very very accurately um, suggested. Uh, if China, um, well, if if it, and it's a big if, China can get itself out of this ridiculous zero COVID strategy, um, then then clearly China coming back online vis-a-vis uh, on the demand side is is very very positive for commodities moving forward. Yep, no doubt on that. Now, on that note, we're going to have to close it off here. I'm going to shut it off like a uh, well, like Nord Stream One. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's the best segue I've ever done. I think there you go. Uh, th- thanks, thanks for joining us today, Jonathan Payne, author of the Payne Report, and I look forward to catching up soon. Thanks, James. Thanks, Heath. Bye bye. Yeah, thank you. Cheers Heath, for, cheers, Heath, for joining us. Don't forget, uh, I don't know, you know all the stuff that I usually say at the end of the show. Uh, subscribe, rate, uh, leave a review. Um, you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on all the other places as well. Twitter, uh, at the underscore BIP underscore show. Um, I did a great survey last week. Um, I ran a survey, and yes, it did turn out that uh, the average man on the street could not have known that the RBA had those caveats um, behind their saying that they weren't going to raise rates. Um, so, yeah, I think that the, the, the people have spoken, that maybe the RBA didn't message that well enough. I'll run another survey today at exactly when um, when we should be buying commodities. Or, you know what, I'll run another survey and we'll, we'll ask the question, will Russia turn the taps back on? There's the, uh, there's the survey that I'll run this time. Uh, I've got a website. Check it out. Wheeland Capital is where all this stuff is kept. Um, I'll put some documents on there that we've got and some links to other things that are there. Um, Jonathan's on Twitter. Heath is on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. You know who we are. Um, just look it up. The show is produced by Glenn Fittick, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks a lot, Heath. See you later, mate. Have a good one. Thanks, Jonathan. Have a great day. Thank you, James. Thank you, Heath. Bye-bye. Bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.